Hello there. Welcome to the Little White Cabin and our listening series, A New York Yankee in the Heart of Dixie, episode number two. I'm your host, Oscar Bronx. We got this message in the Little White Cabin inbox, and it says, Dear Oscar, I love to hear a good story, so I'm very glad I found your podcast. I also read the book of Cain, based on your recommendation, and I agree with you. The River Cat is a great character. I believe people have spirit animals. Mine is a dove, and I was wondering if yours is a catfish. And it's signed, Holly. Well, Holly, I tell you, if I have one, I'm pretty sure it's not a catfish, because I don't think I'd cook and eat my own spirit animal. But Holly, do I have a story for you. And you can decide at the end whether I have a spirit animal or not. When I was about 24 years old, I was sailing cook on a ship, and there were a few guys that were really into cars. They rebuilt them, raised them, bragged about them constantly. One day, one of them asked me, Oscar, can you drive a stick? I told him, hey, I'm from the city. I don't drive. I don't even have a license. They mocked me mercilessly to the point that I decided, when I get off this ship, I'm going to get me a car and learn to drive. And so I did. When I got ashore, I got my driver's license, and I bought this beautiful little blue MGB. That's a little two-seater British sports car, a convertible. And of course, it was a stick shift because the guys on the ship said real men drive stick. I wanted to get as skilled as I could in the time I had, so I figured I'd drive cross-country, you know, get experience driving in all kinds of weather and traffic conditions. And so that's what I did. I drove all over the place. Plus, I'm a kind of a people person, you know. I like conversations and hearing people's stories, so I'd pick up hitchhikers. And I had no problems with any of them until this one time. I was in East Tennessee on a four-lane highway, and I see this guy up ahead standing on the side of the road trying to flag people down, but everybody just kept passing him up. There was a car nearby. It looked like it might have been in an accident or ran out of gas or something. So I figured I'd give him a ride. It's a nice day. I got the top down, and I pull over, and as soon as I get a look at him, I realize why nobody's stopping. He's a young guy, I guess about 17 years old, shaved head, tattoos all over the place, a wife beater and baggy jeans, and he just jumps into the passenger seat. And the first thing he does, he flicks out this switchblade, and he kind of touches my neck with it, and he says, get out. But I tell you, I was not about to give up that car. I loved that car. And I lean away from him as far as I can. The only thing I can think of to say is, can you drive a stick? And then he yells out, oh, no, damn, are you kidding me? And then he says, all right, you drive. Carlos, the carjackal, can't drive a stick. So I drive. And he's looking behind him all frantic like somebody's chasing him and he needs a getaway car. And he keeps looking backward and he's talking tough. But I can tell he's terrified of whoever's chasing him and he keeps telling me to go faster, but I can't because of the traffic. And all of a sudden, he drops down in the seat like to hide and then there's a gunshot and the bullet clips the top of the metal frame of the windshield like it passed right between our heads. And I glance back in the side view mirror and I see this purple Cadillac in the left lane and a guy sticking his arm out the window with a freaking gun in his hand. Now there's road work up ahead and I'm going to have to merge left but there's this semi-tractor trailer in that lane in front of the caddy, so I just floor it. I drive right through the pylons to get around the truck, and the caddy starts to pull around to the right lane to get around the semi, but he can't make it before the roadbed's all chopped up and he has to pull back behind the truck again. 
and Carlos the carjackle's yelling at me to go faster, but I can't because there's a slowpoke in front of me. Then he gets off at an exit, and the coast is clear, so I kick it, and I start putting some good distance between me and the truck behind us, and me and Carlos the carjackle are both looking back, and suddenly I look ahead of me, and what do I see? Three vultures in the middle of the lane, chowing down on some roadkill. And just by reflex, I step on the brakes. And Carjackle yells out, Keep going or I'll cut you up, man. I got a concrete barrier to my left. I got a busted up roadbed to my right. I got no choice. And two of the vultures lift off and get out of the way. But the third one is slower than the others. And he hops and gets maybe one flap in and clips the hood of the MG and smacks into the windshield. And he just sticks there like glue. His wings are all spread out. I can't see a thing in front of me. And I know if this keeps going, I'm going to wreck. So I slow down and come to a stop. And Carjackle's screaming at me to keep going. And I'm yelling back, I can't see a thing. I got to get this vulture off the windshield. And so I jump out and I go to the windshield and let me tell you, I hated vultures with a passion. I thought they were the most disgusting creatures ever. Filthy, stinking, full of diseases and if you touched them, you'd like die on the spot. Now what had happened was the vulture had got his foot caught in a windshield wiper. So I reach in, I'm squinting and trying to keep my head away from him so he won't peck my eyeballs out or whatever. And I grab his leg, and in a few seconds, I was able to jerk it loose from the windshield wiper. And I say, shoot, and I jump back into the driver's seat, and I expect him to beat it. But instead of flying away, you know what he does? He hops up on the top of the windshield, right in front of Carlos the carjackle, and he spreads his wings and bends his head down like he's looking right at Carlos, and he lets out this hellish squawk. And Mr. Tough Guy gangbanger, he was so terrified, he actually screamed like a little girl, and he, like, launched himself backward out of the seat and over the car door onto the road. And still the vulture doesn't fly away. Instead, he just hops down into Carlos the carjackle's seat. And the traffic's getting closer behind us. And Carlos the carjackle's screaming at me to get the vulture out of his seat. So you know what I do? I step on the gas. I drive away. And in my rear view, I see Carlos jump over the concrete barrier and duck down like he's trying to hide from the guys in the purple caddy. And I think, if they didn't see him, they'll still be coming after me. And my blue MGB is easy to pick out in the crowd. So I speed up. I try to put some more distance between me and the purple caddy. But then the road work ends. And I figure, I'm not going to outrun these guys on the open road. So I take the next exit. But that exit goes up to an overpass. And as I look back, there's the purple caddy. And a guy inside pointing his arm in my direction. They see me. I get on this two-lane road. And I'm just hoping there'll be some crossing roads, a shopping center, or some way for me to lose these characters. And all of a sudden, I have to stop because there's this cop. And she's out in the middle of the road with a hand up signaling for me to stop. And she's waving this long line of cars out of a parking lot into the road. And they're all turning in the direction I'm going. And I notice something. They all have the lights on. And the parking lot is this big church. I don't know what's going on. I just figured I need to squeeze into this line of cars as soon as I can because that purple caddy's going to catch up to me in no time flat. So I turn on my headlights and I beat my horn real quick and polite, you know, to catch the cop's attention. And I tell her, I'm supposed to be with them. Can she squeeze me in the line of cars? And she says, wait till the end. 
but then her car just about to come out of the parking lot stalls or something, and so she motions me to go ahead and get in the gap. So there I am, moving along with this line of cars, and all this time the vulture is just standing there in the passenger seat, looking out the front windshield, looking at me, sticking his head out of the passenger side window like a dog enjoying the ride. Unbelievable! So I'm driving along in this line of cars, trying A, to see if the gangbangers are coming up behind me, and B, trying to shoot this disgusting vulture out of my car. And then we come to this driveway off to the right, and everybody's turning into it. And I think, okay, I'll just keep going straight and let everybody else turn in. But just then, I look in the side view mirror, and I see the purple caddy in the left lane bearing down. So I turn off the road with all the other cars. And looking back in my mirror... I see the caddy go flying past down the road, but I'm kind of stuck in this line of cars, and then I realize where we are, in a cemetery, and only then did it hit me. I'm in a freaking funeral procession, sticking out like a sore thumb. I mean, not only do I have this jaunty little sports car with the top down, like I'm on some kind of pleasure ride, but I'm the only white guy in the entire line, and on top of that... I got a vulture sitting next to me. I'm bringing a vulture to a funeral. And some guy's directing people where to park. And he's a big young guy in a suit with a bow tie. And he looks like a bouncer. And he stops me and he looks at me. And he looks at the vulture and he says, What the F? And he motions for this other young guy to come over. And this guy looks like the heavyweight champ. And they both start giving me the third degree, accusing me of being some kind of racist troublemaker. And they start threatening to take me in the woods and beat my ass. And I'm trying to tell them that it's not my vulture. I've been trying to shoo it away, but it won't leave. And my explanation's just making them matter. And then, wouldn't you know it, but the vulture hops up out of the seat onto the top of the windshield and spreads his wings for God and everybody to see like he's showing off. And it startles the guys, and they take a step back, but then they look at me real angry like, okay, it's going down now. But just then, this old guy walks up to my car. He's kind of a scrawny guy, and he's walking with a cane, and he's got a big smile on his face, and he says, well, would you look at that? And he says, you know, when I was a young man in the Merchant Marine, I was on a ship that went to India, and we saw this funeral rite where they placed the bodies on this high scaffolding, and they were covered with a sheet, and all around in these towers and trees surrounding it, there were dozens of buzzards, maybe hundreds. And then at a special time, they yanked the sheet off the bodies, and the buzzards would swoop down and do their holy work. It was an amazing sight, fascinating. And the young guys, you could tell that they had to respect this old man because they didn't interrupt him or anything. So I saw my chance. I said, you were in the Merchant Marine? And he said, yup. And I said, I'm in the Merchant Marine too. I'm a cook. And he got this big grin on his face and he said, I worked in the stewards department too. And he reached out to shake my hand. And then he looked at the vulture and he said, you know, buzzards are a much maligned creature. And it's a shame, a damn shame. They do a vital job and get no thanks for it. People just think they're dark and filthy. I know what that's like. A damn shame. And he reaches into a little paper bag he's carrying, and he pulls out what looks like a fried chicken finger, and he offers it to the vulture, and the vulture takes it and gobbles it down. And the old man says, what's his name? And I say, Buzz, you know, for buzzard. And the old man touches the brim of his hat, and says, nice to meet you, Buzz. 
I gotta go now. That's my wife they're about to lower into the ground. And he turns, and he walks away with one of the young guys. And I tell the other young guy, look, I honestly did not mean to mock anybody. There were some guys chasing me, and is there any way out of here that I don't have to go back on that road? And the young guy, he points across this grassy area, and he says, there's a dirt road over yonder. Go there. Hang a left. And in about three miles, it'll come out on a different highway. Now go on. Get out of here and take Buzz with you. And so I leave, and Buzz hops back down from the windshield into the passenger seat and rides with me. And so I'm driving along, and I think, I came on this trip to learn to drive under any and all conditions. And believe me, a vulture sitting next to you is a condition. So I say, all right, okay, you want to ride with me? Fine, ride with me. And I just start talking to him like he's a hitchhiker. And you know what? I picked up a bunch of hitchhikers on this trip, and he's not the worst. In fact, he's a pretty good companion. He would sit there like he was enjoying the ride, and he'd listen. I mean, that's the thing about Buzz. He was a good listener. It sounds silly, but it's true. I drove all around these country roads talking to Buzz and keeping an eye out for the gangbangers. And then I realize I'm getting hungry, and I figure Buzz is too. I mean, all he's had to eat since we met was one little chicken finger. So I find myself in the outskirts of some little town, and I pull into a piggly wiggly, and I park. And I say, I'll be right back, Buzz, wait here. And I had to laugh at myself, because I just told a vulture to wait in the car. <laughs> what a goof. And as I'm going into the store, I see three young people standing in the parking lot with placards, some kind of Save the Whales protest, which looks so out of place at the piggly wiggly. So I go in, and get me and Buzz some food, and when I come back out, I see one of the young ladies with the placard standing next to my car looking at Buzz. She's kind of, you know, chubby and she's got like pink hair and glasses. And I say, I see you've met Buzz. And she gets this stern look and she says, is this your pet? And I say, not exactly a pet, more like a traveling companion. I picked him up hitchhiking and I get in the driver's seat. And then she just starts to flip out, squawking about how it's illegal to capture a wild bird like this, and she's going to turn me into the EPA or something. And I say, for what? And she says, for violating the Endangered Species Act. And I say, Endangered Species? What are you talking about? He's a freaking vulture. And she starts screaming that it's some kind of black-headed condor or some such nonsense. And so I start the car, and she yells at Buzz, fly away, save yourself. And the other two college kids start slapping their hands on my car, and she bends over and reaches down like she's going to pick up Buzz and take him away. And suddenly, Buzz gives her this huge peck on the face right next to her eye, and she lurches back, you know, shocked, and she puts her hand to her face, and there's blood. She gets this look on her face like a little girl about to cry, so I put the MG in gear, and I hightail it out of the parking lot, and I go through town, and I stop at this stoplight, and I look over at Buzz, and Buzz looks back at me, and guess what? He's got the girl's eyeglasses in his beak. And he suddenly adjusts his grip like he's going to try to swallow them. And I say, Buzz, don't eat those. They'll give you indigestion. And I take them from him and I toss him out of the car into the street. I know I shouldn't have done that, but I couldn't help it. And I look at Buzz and I say, what do you say we go find a place to eat our lunch? 
and so we drive along these winding roads through the hilly East Tennessee countryside. Man, I'm telling you, it's God's country. So beautiful with the crests and cliffs and canyons and valleys and forests and meadows. So I come to this place where there's a little picnic area at the side of the road next to a scenic overlook. And I stop and I open Buzz's door and I put the raw chicken tenders I got for him on the ground so he won't make a mess in the car. And I take my fried chicken and potato salad over to the picnic table. And I sit down and start to eat and Buzz hops out of the car and heads for his meal. And behind me, there's a cliff at the overlook that drops into the valley. And you can see for miles. And I hear this screech. And I look back there, and I see this big hawk flying around. And I watch this hawk soar. So beautiful. And then I turn back and I say, Hey, Buzz, don't you want to fly like that? But Buzz isn't there. I stand up, and I see him, out in the middle of the road, scoffing down some roadkill. And I yell at him, Buzz, come on, get out of the street. And just then, a big semi comes barreling around the bend, and I wave my arms and shout, Buzz, move, Buzz! And just like before, Buzz takes a hop and gives one flap of his wings, and bam, the front side of the truck clips him. Actually, you see some of his feathers fly. And for just the moment, I can't see Buzz. He's on the other side of the truck where there's a cliff that goes up. And when the truck passes, I see Buzz trying to flap. He's up off the ground in the air, like tumbling in the turbulence behind the truck. And the wind and his flapping carry him past me to the overlook. And over the edge he goes. I run over to the railing, and I see him tumble down. And his body kind of ricochets off a ledge, and he spreads his wings. And he starts to glide, first downward, then he levels out. And then he catches an updraft and starts to slowly ascend in this wide spiral. Up he comes, and he hardly even needs to flap. And he's at my level and going higher up into the sky. And I'm like cheering him on. But then he starts drifting away until he's just a speck. And then he's gone. And I say, bye, Buzz. And I stand there for a couple of minutes, but he doesn't show back up. So I walk back to the picnic table, but I'm not hungry, so I don't finish my lunch. I just sit there. Once in a while I get up and go to the railing and look out into the valley, high and low, but no buzz. I sat at that picnic table till it was night. I tell myself, this is the way it's got to be. I mean, come on, I couldn't have made buzz into a pet. People in the city raise pigeons, but vultures? And who would I get to watch him when I went to sea? Nobody, that's who. Nah, the pink-haired girl was right. Buzz was a wild animal. He needed his freedom. So I get in my car, and I drive a little ways till I find a little roadside motel, and I get a room. Next door, there's a little tavern. So I go in and order a beer, and the TV above the bars turn to this local TV news station, and they have this story about somebody who got killed that very day. And guess who it is? It's Carlos the Carjackal. But here's where it gets weird. It wasn't the gangbangers that got him. Remember when I was at the cemetery and I met the old guy who liked Buzz? Well, after they buried his wife, the hearse driver was on his way back to the funeral home and plowed into Carlos the Carjackal as he ran across the road, killed him dead on the spot. And that was the first time I wondered about this whole spirit animal kind of thing. Because I think of how Buzz the Vulture 
sat in Carlos the Carjackal's seat. You know, this creature of death takes your place. And I wondered, was that a sign? An omen that Carlos the Carjackal was fated to lose his life that day? And what's more, Buzz might have saved my life. I mean, guys like that can turn into murderers in a flash. Anyway, after that, I went back home. But that's not the end of the story. Because on my next ship, there was a group of guys that played poker, and of course I joined them. And this group had a thing where each game one player could name the one unbeatable hand called the killer hand. And whoever won that hand won not only the pot, but the entire table. And the game ended. And these guys would always make up some silly, very specific hand, and nobody would ever draw it. Well, it got to be my turn to name the killer hand. So I told them. I knew what his hand people played in India, and it was called the vulture hand. Four clubs, not including an ace, and the ace of spades as the fifth card. Because vultures are black, and the clubs make the body, and the ace of spades make the head with the beak. And if you draw this hand, they call it catching a buzz for buzzard. They got a kick out of that. And then I tell them, there's something else you got to know about the vulture hand so you can decide whether to play it or fold. And they say, why would anybody fold if they got a killer hand? That doesn't make any sense. And I tell them, because the vulture is the bird of death. Whoever plays the vulture hand will be dead by the next morning. People only play it to leave money to their widows. Now, nobody ever drew any of the killer hands these guys made up until this day. There was a guy called himself Stud Johnson because of his supposed prowess at the poker table and in the sack. He was the chief cook. Well, he catches a buzz in that game. And so he wins the table, all the money, and game over. And he's laughing. And suddenly this pained look comes across his face and he clutches his heart and falls off his chair onto the deck. And everybody runs to his side and he starts laughing and he gets up and he points his finger at me and he says, Bronxy, you couldn't take me down with a whole deck of vulture cards. You will never be chief cook as long as I'm around. See, that's the kind of guy he was. He would do whatever he could to keep riffraff like me from moving up in the ranks. A real jerk. Anyway, next morning, we get up to start breakfast and Stud doesn't show. After a while, somebody goes to his room and finds him in his bunk. He's dead. And the other poker players, they look at me like it was my fault. Now, Stud Johnson was 270 pounds. He was out of shape, diabetic. He had heart problems. He already had one heart attack. He smoked like a chimney and drank like a fish. He'd been living on borrowed time for years. But I just said, hey, catch a buzz, pay the widow. But here's the funny part. After Stud was gone, guess who got made chief cook? Me. My first ship is chief cook. And I thought, here's to you, Buzz. And so that's my story, Holly. Does it mean I have a spirit animal? I don't know. I don't know. I often think of what the old guy at the funeral said, about how he knew how it felt to be considered dark and filthy. And I remember how he treated Buzz, you know, with respect. And I wonder if back in his seafaring days, he ever ran across my old friend Manny Conrad. They kind of reminded me of each other. Well, Holly, I hope that answers your question. Thanks for listening and making contact. And to the rest of you listeners, do what Holly did. Go to littlewhitecabin.com and bag yourself a copy of our novel, The Book of Cain. See what all the excitement's about. 
And if you haven't already, listen to the first episode of my podcast. I'm Oscar Bronx, a New York Yankee in the heart of Dixie. As Manny would say, see you in the funny papers. Peace.